That's actually going to be the last Norwegian word that you're going to hear from me today. Except for the word Dampfeivals, but we'll get to that. You see, um, the reason for all this is, of course, that my guest today is English. But first and foremost, so this is Fork om Fortia, which would be loosely translated to People About the Past. And today you're going to hear from Jeffrey Redhead. And this guy is a storyteller unlike anyone I've ever met. He talks about the time that he was shot at. He talks about how he went from driving a road roller, or Dampfeivals, as we know it in Norwegian, to uh, being in the modeling business. He talks about his time as a salesman and some of the lessons that he's learned, which also leads me into why we were where we were. So when we did this recording, we were at a fantastic cafe in Trondheim called Jakobsonsvart. So big thanks to you guys for letting us stay there. And this is actually where Jeffrey works today. So when he's not out talking to customers, you'll see him in the cafe telling stories like no other. And it's a joy to behold. So you're in for a treat. I would definitely stay put until the end where he also talks about how he and his wife moved across the globe to stay closer to their grandkids. So he gets into the importance of family and also how they've coped with the tragic loss of their son. I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope you do too. So with that being said, I think it's time to hear from Jeffrey about where and when he was born. Born in uh, actually Bridlington, Yorkshire. We lived in a, a village town called Flamborough Head. My, uh, it was uh, 30th of September, 1947. My grandma used to have the uh, local um, used to have a cafe at North Landing, which is overlooking the ocean and, and the beach and all this kind of stuff. And we sell ice cream and, and have this cafe. So she, she kind of was one of the who's who in the community because she also ran the, the British Legion and uh, everybody knew us. So it's kind of nice. And I used to skip school on a fairly regular basis and go up to my grandma and I'd go down and she'd put me on the boats with this fisherman and I'd go off fishing with the fisherman. <laughs> and all hell would break loose because then my mother couldn't find me and uh, my grandma used to stand up, stick up for me. So, <clears throat> but and, what age was that? Oh, I'd only be uh, eight, nine years of age, you know. It was good. <laughs> uh, I had a good life. And uh, then we, my parents, we moved to uh, York and they actually went to work for Roundtrees and... Uh, a lot of older people will know Roundtree's. It's the same as Cadbury's and Nestle's and, and the chocolate thing. And both my mum and dad worked at the, the Roundtree's factory. And then we moved to, uh, and I went to school, to an old boys school in, in York. Uh, I was supposed to go to York Minster Choir Boys because I used to sing. And I didn't go because my mother wanted me to. So that was enough reason not to. Okay. You see? <laughs> Uh, and then um, uh, we moved uh, to a little village. Uh, we had a little small holding, chickens and uh, uh, geese and all that kind of stuff. We should pluck for Christmas. And they still worked there. And then they went into the pub business. And we moved to a place called Ripon. And we had a pub in Ripon, uh, the Crown Hotel. And I went to Ripon Secondary Modern School, as it was there. And I could have gone to the grammar school, but my friends went to the secondary modern. 
I could have gone to the grammar school, not that I was clever, but because I used to sing. And if I went and joined the, the choir at the cathedral, then I go to the grammar school. So my mother liked that idea, so obviously I didn't do that. You know, so. And then, um, and I had a, a great time. Like my buddies and I, uh, we'd get on the bikes after school and we'd go and we'd go fishing. And the rivers over there, just lots of fish in those days. And we'd go and fish until it was dark. We'd go home and carry on the rest of the stuff. Used to play golf, used to play tennis. Uh, so I had a really good life. And then we moved from the pub into a post office general store. My parents were always kind of, every few years we'd go to something different. And when we lived at Hensel, which is where this is, uh, Hensel, we used to have a post office and general store, which actually was here. And um, I had a newsagent. By this time, I'd uh, uh, left school and I was working in Harrogate. And I was um, what was called a trainee buyer. I worked for uh, Busby's Har of Harrogate. And, and uh, I sold peace goods, which ladies will know as uh, fabric and... Uh, um, what do you call them? Patterns that yeah. they would make stuff from. So I can cut cotton, nylon, whatever, just like that. And it, it, it's great. And I, I, I did well. But then we moved. And we moved back into uh, the post office general store. And whilst I was there, I had a newsagent inside the building. I used to take a little van that we had. And I'd go and deliver groceries and I would sell out the back of the van around the local community and the villages. And then I used to work for this fellow Claude Richardson and he used to have this uh, Barber Greens, heavy equipment, um, road rollers. And uh, we'd, um, uh, I'd go and call for him and I'd go and I'd make a lot of money. And uh, to this day, one of my friends from Canada uh, went over to England and uh, looking up his old roots and he was talking about um, Egbra and Drax Power Station which are still standing and, and in, in use <coughs> and I said you know I said um, Tony I said I helped build those and they're still standing because I would go in with the concrete team and we'd lay the, all the concrete rocks and we'd squash them down and roll them and roll them and all this kind of stuff. So I actually helped physically build these monoliths, which was amazing, and, it's, and they're still there. So that was part of that program. And whilst I was doing that, uh, they got wind of... Uh, uh, somebody got in touch with uh, the BBC for whatever reason, and they came and they did an interview while I was working. And they did the roller-to-bowler thing, and... Uh, Roller, um, roller to bowler, bowler hat. Oh yeah, 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 yeah bowler hat. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And this was called roller to bowler, right. and uh, <clears throat> and they said, but I wanted to be this. I wanted to be a. Um, um, oh yeah, so so this is a roller. Yeah, the steam roller. Yeah, a diesel roller actually. It, but uh, it's for it's for uh, pavement, right? Yeah. Yeah. You, you flatten the roads or anything else that you want to flatten. Yeah. Even cars if you hit them. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah so. No, I just, uh, it, yeah, it's a dump by a waltz in yeah. Norwegian. I just never heard about no. the English term. Yeah, they say, look, that's... Uh, and this yeah, was there you a, go. So this I did, and uh, by doing that, um, 
is sign an agreement uh, with the BBC. Yeah. Therefore, I could apply to equity because uh, you can't work for uh, the uh, industry unless you're a, a member of equity, a union. Yeah, is equity a, a union of for actors and uh, oh, okay. and workers within that industry? Yeah. And uh, so I got on with equity and I made a phone call to Manchester. The lady that I also worked with, because I was a manager of a, a modeling agency in Leeds, uh, amongst other stuff that I used to do. And uh, so I had a good life. I had sports cars, you know, uh, fast foods, fast women. I mean, life was great. Made lots of money, nothing to spend it on but myself. I mean, life was good. So uh, then I went to... Uh, over to Manchester, I had an interview with uh, the casting uh, department, two ladies, and I remember the uh, owner of the Regency Model Agency was with me, and uh, Mrs. Bassett, and um, she was sat down in the foyer because when we went, the concierge said, you can go up, Mr. Reddit, and uh, he said, no, madam, he said, not you, and she had to wait. And when I'm up in the office upstairs, you can see down into the foyer, and the two women said, who's that? I said, that's my owner. She said, get rid of her. It was that cut and dried. We don't pay, we pay you, we don't pay through a manager really? of this kind of stuff. No. Yeah. So if you want to work for us, get rid of her. So that was the end of the uh, modeling agency thing. And uh, a week later, I was on Coronation Street. Yeah, in Coronation Street, that, that was a series. In... It's a series. It's still a series. A oh, Yeah, really? it started in 1960, <laughs> and I was at the seventh uh, anniversary uh, <laughs> with, uh, um, who was it? Um, Ina Sharples, uh, Elsie Tanner, who was played uh, by Pat Phoenix. Um, they, they, they're dead now, obviously. Um, one fellow, Len Fairclough, I remember the first time we were there, there was a, a young lady and myself, and we sat up on the, in the rooms, just waiting to do what we've got to do, just go here, go there, do as you're told. And um, he came across to us, did uh, Peter Adamson, Len Fairclough, he says, uh, he said, can you two act? So we said, well, if called upon, they said, get the fuck out of my seat. Well, I'm only in the 20s. I'm from Yorkshire. I'm in Lancashire. You don't tell a Yorkshireman what to do, no matter where you are. So I stood up and I said, I don't care who you are. I said, I'll drop you right now. <laughs> he says, you're all right, lad, you can stay. <laughs> so that was, and I worked there a few times, which was, which was kind of nice. But uh, the, um, <coughs> what was the name of the series called again? Coronation Street. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's amazing. You you too young, you don't understand this. But yeah, I know. I got to plead everybody ignorance here. East Enders, Coronation Street. It was before the East Enders and this kind of stuff. It's huge. But, Coronation yeah, but Street. it's in the same realm as East Enders, right? Absolutely, but far better. Okay. Yeah. So it would be like the, the better equivalent of Hotel Caesars. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's amazing. Like uh, the street is still there. You know, the, the uh, Coronation Street. The the uh, the pub, yeah. it's there. Uh, although they have a street in the studio, but yeah. the the actual streets are still there and all this kind of stuff. So it, uh, and the series is still going. 
series is still going. You meet quite a few people. You used to meet some of the big stars. I mean, Paul McCartney used to come in. Georgie Best used to come in uh, just to see their actors and their friends and so forth. So uh, we're all part of that scene at that point in time. Oh. And it used to be like, you know, after, the, after a party, after the, a show and this kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, it was, it was really, really good. But um, then I met uh, my girlfriend and she was not happy with me spending so much time over there and I kind of cared more about her than I did this other scene. Been there, done that. So, um, yeah, I, then I had to get a real job. Yeah. yeah. But uh, just to bring it back a bit, because the <coughs> whole um, uh, the road roller thing. Mm. Like, so you were driving like the, the thing that's sort of crushing the pavement yep. and flattening out. Yeah. Uh, and then that led to modeling business and then actor. Well, I was a model as well as a road roller. Okay. Yeah. But what came so, first? <clears throat> um, maybe the road roller, I guess, because we moved into the village and, and, and from there. And then I was getting a bit bored. Uh, it was my mother that said, look, there's an ad here for an agency thing in, in um, um, wanting models in, yeah. in, in Leeds. So, okay, so I go and I try this out and I do this. And uh, it's a real, uh, a real con game, you okay. know. They get a lot of young people and a lot of the parents think, think that the kids are going to be famous and uh, they pay uh, quite a lot of money for you to go through this modeling course by somebody that says that they're a model or they're from so-and-so. And I don't think anybody really checks up their credentials. It's just a, a glory road. Yeah. And, um, they get well paid from companies that use the models. And I mean, it's be a, uh, a beautiful sunny day and we'd be stood on a golf course with some bikes with, with rain ponchos on, having our pictures taken and this kind of stuff. Yeah. And we get a small percentage and they get a bigger percentage. Yeah. So, um, is, when, that, is that why you <coughs> say that is conman's world? Well, or? when they wanted to get so much money out of us, and I was mm, somewhat savvy uh, more then uh, about what you were worth, and um, the particular lady, uh, I went in one day, I said, listen, we change. This is what happens now. Otherwise, I'm out of here. And she actually made the manager, made me the manager of the company. <laughs> so, uh, um, it, it, yeah, life, uh, it took a different turn at that aspect. But then when I started working with the studios, then I, I, I stopped with the modeling because you only made a little bit of money. Yeah. I mean, I thought I was made. The first week uh, I worked at Granada Studios, I did uh, two, two shows, uh, one on Coronation Street, and the other one was a, a, a program called City 68. And I think I made uh, oh, 300 uh, pounds on the Coronation Street and 130-some pounds on, on this for for just a few seconds of time. Oh, oh. you're there, you've yeah. made it. But then you don't work for three months. Yeah. You know, so that's that industry too. Yeah. So, and that really hasn't changed either. No. You know, everybody's chasing the rainbow. Yeah. So yeah, so that was, that was fun. And then um, we, um, Dean and I, we got married. 
we moved down to Northampton from Yorkshire, and I worked for um, Brettles, ladies' underwear and laundry. In, uh, as a, and I went in the packing department, and the opportunity uh, came up. The, one of the senior reps was not very well, and they asked one fella uh, at work uh, if he would go down and look after the area. And um, Derek had too much going on in and around Belper in Derbyshire for himself. And they asked Ron, who was also a young fellow like me with a, a new wife. And he said he would have to ask the wife. Uh, and I asked one of the guys, I said, what's going on? And so they said they want someone to run down and help Monty down at um, in Northampton. Uh, it's right in Leicester. Oh, I said, well, I'll go. Excuse me? I said, no, I'll go. So they got all of Mr. Goslin and said, uh, uh, Jeff, right. So they put me through a crash course uh, on the other departments that we had in the building. And I went down to help Monty. And uh, Helping him with what? Go to the um, uh, shops, stores, department stores, and sell our product, yeah. which was samples of ladies' clothing, men's uh clothing, socks, underwear, and all this kind of stuff. And Brettles is quite a reputable company. It's part of the Devlin organization, but reputable company. And um, I uh, did a decent job, and I got a couple of new clients whilst I was going out uh, around. And, uh, but I was young. And they advertised for a rep for this, uh, for Brettles. And... Um, Monty said, he said, don't you want the job? I said, Monty, I said, I'm, I'm he said, well, aren't you doing the job? I said, what? He picked up the phone, he phoned the general manager, the, the director, managing director of, of Brettles, and said, uh, what about Jeff? And uh, Mr. Goldson Sr. said, uh, does he want the job? He said, yes, it says. I had prime, prime, location, uh, area, it was great, absolutely. And uh, I worked for them for a few years, really enjoyed it. Uh, very, very nice. But then Mr. Goslin Sr. retired and his son took over the company. And the first thing he did was got rid of half of the salespeople, the reps, and expended the territories. No more money. Just a lot more work, more responsibility. Instead of staying away maybe one night a week when you're at the other end of the, the territory, now you're going to stay away like two weeks at a time kind of business. Why? No. I was young, young family, not for me. So yeah. that was the end of that. But uh, mm. you said that you really enjoyed the, your, your time there. But, uh, yeah. Can you talk about uh, what you enjoyed there? Because uh, uh, it seems like you're, um, you're, you're bouncing around from qu yeah. quite a various oh, professions yeah. here. And people, I, just meeting people. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's amazing the people that you meet, the stories that you get involved with. I mean, it's, it's, it's quite something. They, uh, you'd go first thing in the morning and a uh, uh, lady would open the shop and you go in, you'd have a cup of tea, you'd show the, all your samples and so forth, then you'd go on to the next one. 
and and you did that. So uh, as a traveling salesman, uh, it it is a good life. So long as you're successful. Yeah. If you're knocking on doors and not getting anywhere, it's a very very um, disillusional. Um, you can get depressed very easy. But I worked for good companies. I was very lucky. And when I left Brettles, I went to work for a company called Wolf Tools for garden and lawn. So I'd gone from ladies' underwear to motor mowers, lawn mowers, power tools. And here again, different clientele, but basically the same. You go in, and I try to say to the, the, the young ones here in this company that they think that or you just go and sell. You don't just go and sell because if the people you're going to don't like you, you're not going to sell them anything. You can have the best product in the world, but if they think you're an asshole, you're treated like one. Yeah. So you've got to... and. Uh, and I tell them here, it's so important to call on your customers on a regular basis, to share time with them, to listen to their stories too, you know, because we all have the same. You know, if you've got a problem, say, geez, I'm having a bit of a problem. With, well, why don't you? Good idea. Thank you very much, Dean. And, uh, you know. Yeah, so, uh, is that... Um Something that you picked up somewhere, or just the the way you you handle customers? Um, were you taught that, or was that is that just like nature? No, it. Uh, one time, um, the fellow said to me, "We should sit down and we should go over your customers." And then they say, "We would like one of the young fellows here to. Uh, why don't you take him around with you?" to meet your customers, so that, and I'd say, why? Well, I said, well, I'm not sure whether I like him yet or not. So why would I go and introduce the people that I like? <laughs> and they, they don't, they read a book on how to sell. The only person that makes money out of the book is the author. And the only reason he writes it is because he can't sell. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So it, I've been a salesman all my life. I've sold everything, you know. And it just went on from one to another to another. And uh, when uh, we got out of the uh, Wolf Tools and I went to work for United Kingdom Guarantee Corporation, which was a finance company, and we moved from Northamptonshire back up to Yorkshire because uh, my wife wanted to, it would be nice to go up and see her mother. We're only 89 miles away, but in England, that's like the end of the earth, you know? <laughs> How I come? Mean, like, it, like, uh, as well, a, they don't travel. Yeah, okay. You know, you're married in this street, you might move in the next street one over. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's changing. Yeah. It has changed. Yeah. But realistically... The nucleus is right there. The family is there. And they never go anywhere. You know, trip to the seaside, 47 miles away, that's a big thing. Now, I mean, you can go all over the world. But yeah. then, no, it didn't used to happen. So, of course, when... Uh, and uh, we um, 
moved back up to Yorkshire. We went into business with my parents, uh, which didn't work out. Um, my mum got quite jealous of my wife and our kids and it wasn't comfortable. So we said, that's it, we're out of here. And we, uh, we moved out of the place that we were in, which we were sharing with them guys. And I said, that's it, we're going. And I was going to go to Australia. I was going to emigrate to Australia. Um, place? Yeah, it looked beautiful. But everything that nips you, bites you, stings you, could kill you, lives in Australia. Yeah, pretty much. So, and I got two little children. I ain't going to do that. <laughs> so, my wife's sister, who emigrated to Canada when we got married in 69, she wrote to us and said, if you're thinking of, why don't you come to Canada? Okay. So, we got an airplane and we went to Canada. And then I started working for GMAC. And that was short-lived. That was like uh, just over a year uh, because you do get wise very quickly. Yeah. You know, you can die. You know? Yeah, that, that was the repo thing, right? That was the repo thing. Yeah. But yeah. Can you G-Mac. explain what that kind of repo thing is? Because uh, I, I don't know the proper word for that in Norwegian, so I'm kind of curious. Oh, well, you're, uh, you work for like Ford, um, uh, Ford Finance or uh, GMAC, which was General Motors Acceptance Corporation or Chrysler Corporation, they, car manufacturers uh, used to have their own, because at one point in time it was difficult to get financing for a vehicle. The banks didn't want to know, all this kind of stuff. So to, to enable uh, General Motors, Ford and Chrysler to sell automobiles, they had their own finance department. So the general would be financing his own products. And uh, you'd get a loan through the, through, the, through the dealership, but it would be just like uh, Sparabank or uh, Santander or whatever, yeah. like it is today. And uh, if <coughs> they did not pay, then um, you would send somebody like me to ask them, you know, is there a problem? Now, Sometimes there was a problem because they had no intentions of paying. They'd just finance a vehicle and leave. And Canada is a big country, so is America. They can be, uh, three days later, they can be the other side of the, of the world uh, with a new car, which they're not paying for. And they're driving around in it, they're putting gas in it, all this kind of stuff. And uh, in the past, it's been known that uh, uh, certain car dealerships uh, unknowingly and unwittingly, I've given a, um, um, a customer, put a dealer plate on the back of a vehicle for them to take for a test drive and given them a company credit card to go and put gas in at the, at the gas station just across the way and they've gone and never come back. With the company credit card? With the company credit card. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure you can see where the, the, the gas is used along the way and all this kind of stuff. And eventually you catch up with them and they repossess the vehicle, but nothing really happens. They're just happy to get the car back. Yeah. You know, so, and, and it was my job to go and, and, and see people and basically uh, see if there was a, a, a legitimate reason as to why they did not pay. Uh, maybe they just lost a job. 
or maybe something else had got paid because everybody gets stretched out on financing and it's getting more and more. And you'd look at them and say, look, um, the husband just lost his job. Uh, you would, they'll make it up this way. Okay, so we would extend the contract another month or, or two months even so that they weren't showing that they were in, in arrears. But if they got to like three months in arrears, then there wasn't a choice. You just took the vehicle because then you could sell it <coughs> and at least get some back back on your uh, your thing. The company didn't want the, the cars back. I mean, they're making them. They don't want want them back. They just want you to buy the bloody things. So anyways, and that's what we used to do. And, and we used to get in some real uh, uh, argy-bargies. I, I went to... Um, one fellow who was a, a, a wrestler, um, he was out of uh, Calgary, but this was in Vancouver. And I went to his house, and it's early in the evening, it's like about 8.30, and he had a Cadillac Eldorado Brits, beautiful vehicle. And I saw it in the driveway, so I go up his driveway, knock on his door, I said, he said, uh, yes. I said, oh, I said, Gary, I said, it's Jeff Reddard, um, you may see, what do you want? Ah, oh, I said, I'm trying to be nice, I said, look, I said, you know, Ron told me to come and call on you, but I said, uh, he said, come later, because you're more likely out the other. And he said, you'd come any later. And he said, I'd kick your ass off this property so fast. And he was big. And I said, listen, I said, let's get something straight. My knees are shaking. <laughs> I said, I don't scare. I said, and I can run a hell of a lot faster than you. He said, you want a coffee? I said, love a coffee. Come on in. And, you know, <laughs> and then we extended the contract and... Fine, <laughs> but sometimes you know you'd <coughs> excuse me you'd get uh, keys cut uh, because in those days uh, with the serial number you could go to the to the dealership because it's all like local, and you'd go to the dealership where the vehicle had been sold, and they'd have the the key codes, and you'd just get a, a, a another key cut for the vehicle, and then because sometimes. People in North America can be quite violent. Uh, they do have weapons, and some of them will use them. And uh, I went to this one fellow who was a fisherman, and he had his truck parked behind the car. He had a Chevy Impala. And I went up the driveway, and I looked at the Chevy, and I thought, right. So I opened the thing, and I got in. And he opens the door, and he sees me, and he's reaching back inside the door, and I'm not looking. I'm going. And he comes out and the shotgun's shooting and I'm not stopping. So I tell you, it's, it was hairy sometimes. Yeah, that's yeah. a yeah. interesting day on the yeah. job. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah. yeah. I'm assuming you didn't have uh, the majority of your days like that though. Oh no. no, I mean you met a lot of nice people but you, you met a lot of strange people too. Like yeah, you did have people that had seriously no intentions of ever paying yeah. for anything. But that was uh, yeah. That, that was in Canada, right? That was in Canada. Yeah. Uh, like, was this was this all around Canada, or was it like in a specific area? Because I'm I'm guessing. Well, you were in areas. I mean, this we well, my area was like Vancouver, uh, well, BC, British Columbia, and just outside of Vancouver, Surrey, and places like this. Um, when you're up in Kamloops, they had an office up in Kamloops. So when you're you know and trailed it out of an office in trail, this kind of stuff. So there'd be all of us um, G-men um, all over uh, North America, realistically. That would, uh, yeah. 
What's the G-Min part? Uh, General Motors, that's G-Mac, G-Min. Okay, there you go. Like something out of the old Wild West kind of business, or with the trench coats on them. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. How you and and we're basically, we're all kind of fairly young, you know, so yeah, you had a lot of testosterone and, and no sense. <laughs> you know? yeah. no. That sounds approximately like most guys in their 20s. Yeah, yeah, it is. Would that 20s, be your... uh, early 30s, and yeah, after you've been in a few years, you get sense, you get out yeah. while you're still in one piece. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Because uh, how did you end up like one of those G-men at all? Like, because uh, I'm assuming that might not have been um, you, the, the stuff that you were dreaming about when no, you were a little teen. No, 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 no. You, you um, we moved from England to to Canada, and I was looking for a job. And I remember uh, going looking the first week we got there. I mean, um, I'd left a good job in England, and um, we just took the family and we moved to Canada. And the first week there. We're driving through Vancouver. Uh, the first night, it's pouring down with rain. There's these skyscrapers. I've never seen a skyscraper in my life. I thought I was going to Canada and I was going to chop down trees. I mean, that's how naive we were. <laughs> and uh, I'm looking at this place. I think, what have I done? You know, so then I go looking for a job. And in England, you go looking for a job. Uh, they give you an interview. Very nice. Thank you very much, Eve. In North America, that wasn't the case. You go then, you take your resume and so forth, and which I'd, I've taken, I give my resume. And I'm sat there waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and the time goes past the, uh, the time for um, uh, the interview, and I get up, I go to the front desk, I say, excuse me. I said, I had an appointment at 10.30 with someone. Oh, yeah, that's fine, we've got... Uh, uh, if we need, we'll be in touch. Hmm. I said, could, could, could I have that back, please? And they go on and fetch it there. I said, I said, I wouldn't work for you now if you wanted me to work for you. I said, it's just rude. Just rude. Yeah. And I leave. <laughs> and that was kind of trust. I thought, freaking well, I'm going to work for these people. So anyway. Then I went to, uh, and I got a bunch of stuff which was related to the finance industry because that's what I was doing in England before we left. I was assistant branch manager of a, of a finance company. And the same thing with, uh, with um, finance vehicles, uh, finance other things and so forth, uh, and uh, would also be collections as well as the financing. And uh, some of the things we used to get up to in those days, I mean, they'd lock you up now. You know, you'd, you know, you'd go, you have a contract to sign, and the customer had forgotten to sign part of the contract when they, and you'd already uh, paid the, the car dealer, uh, the used car dealer, you'd already paid him for the, for the product. Uh, but you couldn't put it through because it wasn't signed correctly. So you'd go out into the country, some of these used car dealers you used to deal with, and you'd say, Rick, listen, I, I got a problem. This needs signing. Well, the fellow that bought the car lives down in London. He'd come up, you know, bought this car, sports car, and then gone back down to London. There ain't no way he's going to come up. There's no way the car dealer is going to go down there to get this signed. So Rick would say, hang on a minute. He said, uh, you know, he'd go in the back, come back, 
it'd be signed. <laughs> and I'd go, but, but, but. It's fine. Just tell me I took the plane down and picked it up. He said, put it in tomorrow or the day after. <laughs> so that's the kind of thing you used to do. Totally illegal. <laughs> Not the kind of stuff that you would see now, maybe? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you, don't, you don't think they're, they're all bent. Yeah. yeah. So, But I guess it's a different time and... Uh, different time, different place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a thing on uh, Sky News thing and, and there's a, one of the ads that come on is about now and then. And uh, then uh, the satisfaction level, say, was... Uh, uh, or not the satisfaction, but uh, what is it? Um, community percent of caring and that kind of stuff. In the old days, say, it used to be like community spirit, 82%. Today, 5%. And that's the total swing around from where it was. We'd go out and we'd play until it was dark, and then we'd go home. You know, here... You get in the car and I'm with the phone. I mean, you see all this amazing stuff as you're driving past it. You know, wildlife and that kind of stuff. No, enter the phones. They, they miss so much, you know. They miss the good parts of life. You know, so, uh, but that's just an old man ranting. No, but, uh, this, this is definitely the place for old man ranting, so yeah, yeah. Uh, you feel free. But yeah. uh, do you remember when you kind of saw that shift, though, with the phones? Oh, I, it's yeah, definitely I, on I, another level now. Yeah, I, I guess it was when um, when I was a, a salesman, uh, and that would be in the early seventies. And the first phone I had was like the size of a brick, with a big antenna on it, and they'd use that. And you know. You only used it because it was expensive. You only used it when you had to use it or when they wanted to get a hold of you. Now, you can't get away from the damn things. The phone, wherever you go, and the GPS systems in them, I mean, you can't get lost, which is a good thing, but uh, they, they use far, far too much. Like, uh, it, they're taking over everything, you know? And, and you're, ju you're just a number now. You're no longer a person. How come? Yeah, because they know who you are, where you are, what you are. I mean, Facebook. Uh, my wife's on Facebook. I'm not on Facebook. And Jean says, you should be on Facebook. I said, why? Well, you know somebody. I said, I don't want anybody to know who I am, where I am, or what I am. I'm happy. Leave me alone. You know, if it wasn't uh, that I had a family, I had grandchildren, all that kind of stuff, I'd be just as happy in some shed up in the hills somewhere. I'd be much happier than, than the frustrations that you have coming to work, seeing this not done and that not done. And think, you know, guys. But, uh, let me just uh, like, put pause on that for a second because um, the way you tell these stories, it's so precise and like, it's so detailed with like, the, the names of the people who yeah. you were, uh, who were like, a part of whole, this whole thing. And, how did that come to be? Like the whole storytelling, is that something that you've always done since you, you were well, little? Well, maybe because uh, also when we used to be in the pub business and I used to be in the Amateur Operatic Society, which was singing, yeah, which was play acting. And I took the lead 
in waltzes from Vienna as Johann Strauss. I was the music man, Tommy Gillis in the music man. Um, I was Sid Elkar in the desert song. Uh, my singing teacher, uh, followed by Robert, Robert Naylor, he's dead now. Uh, he took over, uh, he used to sing the Mikado. I mean, so you learned parts. You learned, it, so it was important. It's like I say today, I write things down in my notes of names because I don't remember the same. I remember who they are, but the names kind of slip sometimes. But in the old days, no. They were so much a part of your life. The guys I used to work with. Yeah, it's just fascinating to see because um, when I see you here at the cafe that we are now, then uh, it always looks like you're telling stories to somebody. Yeah. And it's really fascinating to see yeah, that. And yeah. uh, like before I, I got here, I, I talked, I, yeah. I messaged um, a few of the guys who actually work here, yeah. just uh, asking if there was like any specific stories that I should yeah. like tap into. And they were all like, you know what? He got, he's got so many stories that this won't be a problem at all. No, no. They, they think it, it, you know, like they don't understand what you used to do in the old days. Like if somebody owes you money, you go and talk to them. And by talk to them, you take a baseball bat if necessary. You know, you get far more results than what you get from going <laughs> asking people to pay you today. And some of the people, and especially in the car business, you meet both ends. You meet some, you know, you think, you know, you might get angry. You might think you're a bad guy. You know, the bad people are really bad people. But they're good when they're buying things off you. Treat them with respect. And this is the secret. You've got to treat everybody respectfully. You know, you know, what they do for a living, fine. They pay. Doesn't matter that they go around the corner and shoot half a dozen people. They still pay you and they're nice to you. If you're not nice to them, they might shoot you. So my, I, I tell my... Um, we used to, our dealership in the auto wall, um, we used to be around the circle. We were called the Honda Way. And then around the corner from here uh, was the uh, Nissan dealership. And then next to the Nissan dealership was Hyundai, Don Quast Hyundai. And his son, uh, which was realistically an associate, he was the uh, general manager of the dealership, uh, like I was the general sales manager of, of our, our dealership. So you trade cars, uh, you have lunches together, you're in the same circle of friends and this kind of business and all of that type of stuff. But they also have a life that you know nothing about. Like Devron, Don's son, 36 years old, he got involved with the drug business. He had everything, beautiful wife, children, a Hummer, Mercedes, Harley Davidson's, everything. So where's the greed factor come in? Why does he go and get involved in what he gets involved in? When the dust settles, he goes down to the States one, one day and he gets arrested because it's a sting operation. What's that again? A sting? Yeah, uh, when, it's like a raid, right? Or... Yeah, it's like when you're going to go and buy something 
or pay for something, but yeah. the person you're paying is a police officer. Yeah, there you go. Okay? And they've been watching you for years. And none of us in the automobile knew this, you know? And, and his manager was also a friend of mine. Uh, and we worked together at the Honda Way. And I knew his father when I used to work at Preston's, who was a great guy. He worked for General Motors too. And, and you know, the good people. Anyways, they arrest him. He got so many million dollars in cash. They had uh, a truckload of cocaine, which he was bringing up into Canada. Um, he basically gave up something like uh, 39 associates, Hells Angels and other associates and all this kind of stuff. So they were putting him up in jail in the state a long time. But he did a plea bargain thing and they moved him back into Canada. So he served his time in Canada. But okay. he gave up a lot of people. And in that business, you don't do that. No. You know, so, you know, I, I, I look to see if there's any arbitrages to see if he's in there. Because one day I, I know he, he's going to turn up in there. Now, here's a young man that has everything in life. Why do you get involved in the other stuff? What makes you do that? Just got to be greed. The no. dealership was going to be his. You know? What do you think it is? Like, is it just the simple? Oh, uh, adrenaline. It's a rush. Uh, when you get to a certain level and you get, the richer they get, uh, in one respect, the worse they get. Because they have to have more. And they have to have more. Uh, and, and then, uh, and when is enough enough? It never seems to be enough. Yeah. But uh, just as a, an observation, I guess, because uh, you've jumped from uh, the modeling business and uh, you said something about like top 15 uh, in some category yeah, in Canada. Yeah, I, I was the, uh, in the top 15 managers in 2005 all across Canada for Honda dealerships. Yeah, so uh, it seems like you've had uh, a lot of high points. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm assuming you also had a lot of low points. Oh, but that's. Uh... I used to make so much money. <laughs> I used to spend it. I lost it. Now I got no money, and I live in the most expensive country in the world. <laughs> but I got my grandkids. <laughs> you know. Uh, and Tony, uh, I came in one day and said, "Listen, I need a job." I said, "I go around knocking on doors." Uh, Adrian, I met Adrian, and uh, Adrian said, uh, come in tomorrow, and he said, see Tony. So, because uh, I came in and asked for Tim, and he oh, said, yeah. Tim? I said, Tim, I said, uh, the, the owner? He said, you mean Tony? I thought, oh, Tony, okay, good. I didn't know that Adrian was a part owner of the company, so I knew nothing. Didn't do any homework, came in, the next day they gave me a contract, bang, off you go, do your thing. <laughs> and I've been here like almost three years now, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So. And it's back to the same selling thing that you've been Absolutely. doing. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just going around people. Uh, but it's also um, cutting out, as a salesperson, what they want you to do. It's also cutting out the bullshit that goes along with it. Because I go to some customer, I go to one particular customer, for instance, and I say, I'm with Jacobs and the Svart, would you try our coffee? This is what we have to offer and so forth. They say, well, we like coffee all this kind of stuff, you know, but we get especially um, roasted, Italian roasted beans imported for us. Oh, really? Uh, and we're, we're quite happy with our, you know, supplier. So, 
They went, well, that's good. I said, no, not a problem. I said, who was your supplier? And they said, Shellsburg. I said, ah. I said, same shit, different name. <laughs> you know, they look at me. But I'm old. <laughs> yeah. Not as old as some of your people, but I'm old. Yeah. And so I can say that <laughs> and get away with it because that is the, that is the truth. Yeah. You know. Don't con me. Don't tell me that this is all oh, we're going to do. That yeah, right. Sure, I'm sure you are. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's funny how um, when people who are above a certain age uh, they get away with basically everything. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. like being being retired must be kind of nice because it, then. <laughs> well, yeah. If you have a lot of money, it's nice. But yeah. if you haven't got money, you still got to work, and yeah. that's and really that's why I work. Yeah. You know, I, and plus the fact, what do I do if I don't work? Yeah, exactly. I've worked all my life. Have you given any thought to that? Hmm? Have you given any thought to what you would do? I'd die. Like, literally, you would die. You can only sit in a boat so long in a day. Uh, you can only watch that float, float for so long. Uh, I think maybe if I had a lot of money, I might paint. Um, do something like that, sit on the deck, look at the, the lake and, and paint pictures. Uh, but you have to do something, you, you just can't. I mean, uh, our grandchildren make life worthwhile for us. You know, they're looking, like Tamar said one day, she said, when you die, I said, when I die? Yeah, well, you're old. Well, Yes. Yeah, but you're really old, Grandpa. You're the oldest one here. <laughs> okay. I said, will you miss me when I'm gone? Tamar? She said, yes. I don't want you to go. I said, well, thank you very much indeed, Daddy. You know. <laughs> and, and she says, the good thing about that, she says, you'll get to see Darren sooner, and you'll be there when we come. So that's the way she's like, this time she's like eight years of age she was yeah. then. That's how she thought. We lost our son when he was 16. He was going to a basketball tournament and uh, going through the mountains in Canada. And uh, they got on some ice, went across the road. A semi came, went straight through them before the kids from school were killed. So that was our boy. So anyway, so these kids are so precious. Yeah. You know, they're all we have in life. And uh, there's not much we wouldn't do for them. And we'd do more if we could. Because you just got from, what was it, um, like a, a presentation or like a kind of, the, you said you came from the church uh, and that was yeah, yeah, a it's, grandchildren uh, thing. Right? Yeah, it? my um, eldest grandson, uh, Talon, he's, as I say, he's down and he just graduated from Vestadals. Uh, Moses, his graduation is tonight, that's at Thomas School uh, at Bethel Church. And he wants to go to Kovatar, uh, I guess, because they have a good soccer program. He's a, he's a very good soccer player. And, um, and then uh, Abraham, he's the showman, he's the dancer. Uh, he leads everybody and he's just a street guy. Uh, he's uh, 14 now. Uh, Adassa is um, uh, 11. I'll be 12 this year, and Tamara is uh, nine, and she'll be 10. And uh, yeah, they, uh, they, they, um, they, they are our life. 
if we didn't have them, um, uh, we wouldn't be here. It's so expensive to live here. Every time you turn around, this government is increasing taxes or charging you this or charging you that, and you can't say, no, I'm not going to pay that. I mean, they just take it, you know, so. But you, so. Move, you move basically across the globe yeah. to, to be with your grandchildren. Absolutely. And, Never uh, regretted it. No, that's fantastic. Yeah. And uh, actually, this brings me back a bit because um, I guess that's the motivation in the end game. But uh, coming back to what I originally started with, uh, I almost forgot, but uh, um, seeing that you, you've had your, definitely your high points with yes. making money here and there yeah. and yeah. In, yeah. in varying degrees, and especially with the low points with, with Darren and everything. Yeah. Um, when you said that uh, it's all about, or it comes to, um, when you have a lot of stuff or you, you have much in life, then yes. you basically want more. It's that greed thing or yeah. you, it's the adre adrenaline. Have you ever felt that when during one of those high points in your life? Uh, when you can go and do what you want to do, where you want to go to, um, it's not that important anymore. Um, with working with the car business and working on Honda taking us to some of the places, fabulous places they've taken us and the way they take care of you. And things are changing because of the uh, tax structure and all the rest of this. They can't do some of these things. But um, you can look at it and you say, I've been there, done that. You're always on show. You've always got to say the right thing. If you get to a certain point where uh, you're kind of the owner of the dealership. <coughs> I, I, years ago, we used to sell Honda vans into America because there was a limited supply of this van called an Odyssey. And the American dealers, it was a red-hot seller, and they wanted them. And Honda only produced so many vehicles. And it's allocated to the dealers in North America, Canada, States. We could take a vehicle, and we could ship it to a dealer, a used car dealer, into America for more money than what the retail value of the vehicle was. And they, in turn, would sell it, and they'd still make money. Now, that upset the dealers in America, obviously. So they'd get onto Honda, and Honda would say, hey, guys, you stop. This stop ceases right now. And I remember uh, the manager, the general manager of uh, the zone office in Vancouver, uh, went to uh, one dealership, which was... Um, uh, Richmond Acura, and uh, we didn't get Odysseys, but they were buying them in, and they were just shipping them down there and making a lot of money. And they said, you will stop, and you will do it no more. Otherwise, we will cut you off. We won't supply you with the other products and so forth. He no, long, he no sooner got back to his office than there was a call. The Chinese government owned the Acura store. Everything 
nothing was done, they continued selling the van. So that's power when they can take and they say, you know. So we've been part of that program too. So it's it's this as you get older, you see the inequities, the the um, corrupt way that things are done. And you could upset one little cog along the way there, and some little weeb can destroy you. And that's the society that you're living in today. In the old days, when, when we were young, when we were kids, you know, you'd get into an argument so forth. Hey, you might, you get in a fight, bang, you knock the guy down a couple of times, and he knocked you down, you get up, shake hands, go and have a cup of coffee. It was finished. Yeah. Look how the world's changed now. Oh, I, 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 I think Norway is a great place for my grandchildren to grow up in because it is safe, or it appears that it's safe, but it's changing. Uh, how do you see it changing? The level of crime is increasing. Um, when we were growing up, uh, and possibly uh, immigration comes in, raise its ugly head, uh, because now everybody can travel from one part of the globe to the other part of the globe, but they put restrictions on. And we have had, since time began, we've had racism. And it's everywhere. And you go to the schools, you see the little kids. Uh, you go to Thomas School, you go to, to uh, um, Burley, the international school, and they all get along. They all play. They have a great time. It's when they get older that people tell them, you're not supposed to do that. You know, you don't like that person because they're different. And it takes you a long time, and it takes you until you get old to realize that. As a kid, it's not part of the, the program. Yeah. But as you're growing up, it becomes part of the program. Then as you get older, it's not part of the program anymore. Do you feel like you, you learned that in later years? That racism <sighs> is not uh, something that sort of is a, it's not a quality or it's not a, Something that's born into us as people is, is something that's sort of fed through media or something. I think it's fed terribly through media. Yeah. I think media creates half the problems that there is in the world, <laughs> yeah, much. to be honest. Yeah. I mean, look what Trump's done with tweeting left, yeah. right, and center for crying out loud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not up on politics. Uh, I, I don't have much time for any of the politicians. No. Uh, my parents... Uh, when we lived in Canada, uh, they uh, wanted to come over to Canada because I'm the only one. There's no brothers, no sisters. I was the only son. So my mother, oh, my dad, he's like me. Well, we'll do whatever's necessary. You know, on the coming. And they applied to come to Canada. They weren't allowed to even go for a medical. How okay. come? Because 
my dad uh, was a certain age, 50, 50 some or whatever he was at that point in time, and the Canadian government, whatever, the Canadian, the manpower people, no, they don't want an older fellow, they want young people and all this kind of stuff. And they have problems in Canada like they have everywhere else with employment, and they have a program like you have NAB, they've got manpower. And they have to provide people with work or try and find work for them. Now, my dad, I got him a job at the dealership I was working to come to. In Canada. In Canada. Yeah. Um, this job was not available to somebody else. They've given my dad this job because of who I was, what I did in the company, et cetera, et cetera. So they were making a job for him. So just for them to come. I mean, he could, I mean you have to show that you can afford to take care of your parents, this kind of stuff. Yeah. They could afford to take care of me. And they sent money over to put in our bank account to show that I could take care of them. Anyway, they couldn't even get to the doctors. They wouldn't allow them to do so. So I phoned a fellow, uh, which was a talk show, John Reynolds, his name was. He used to be a, a member of parliament. He used to be an MP or whatever he was in, in uh, Vancouver. And I phoned this talk show and I said, John, this is me. Uh, this is my parents. I said, you know, he said, let me talk to you offline. He said, I have a name for you. So he said, but he said, just hold that thought. He said, and just, he said, I'll be off in five minutes. He said, and then he said, uh, just stay on the line for me. So then he gets back on his talk show and he's telling the Canadian public, Vancouverites and so forth, this is disgraceful. A man that's fought for his, for his country, you know, for Canada basically because he's a Brit, all this kind of stuff. Uh, the only son, they're not allowed to come, and all this kind of nonsense, okay? So, when he gets off his torture, then he phones me back, he said, listen, he said, here's a name, Simma Holt, she was a federal MP in, in, in Ottawa. He said, he said, I've put a message in for her, he said, you get in touch with her, he said, and tell her the situation, etc., etc." So. I get old, I phone, I get things, go to Simmerholtz, and uh, <coughs> her secretary says, she's in, she's in Belgrade or Budapest, wherever she was at this function or uh, whatever and so forth at this point in time, but they'll uh, follow her up and get back to me. Um, and I, I, I did all of this because I went to Manpower to help my parents to come. And when I'm sitting there, this fellow across the way from me is telling me, you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to do this, and, have to, and we have to give these people. And this is like your NAV program here. There's some guys down there, you know, they're from another part of the world, and he said, we have to give these people a job. I said, you are going to give somebody a job that won't even go and look for a job? And I said, you... I, I was angry. I mean, I almost went over the counter to the guy. So he stamped it and he puts it on another table. I said, what? He said, he said he'll take care of it now. So that was done? Uh, no, they just passed the buck. Yeah. And then you have to do the whole process all over again. Just like any kind of government bureaucracy that you have. Yeah. In any part of the world. So anyway, after we got all the simmer holes, a few weeks later, guess what? My parents were coming to Canada. And I got a letter, and Trudeau at the time, the Prime Minister, 
also gave my parents a letter welcoming them to, to Canada. <laughs> all because we got all of the media. Yeah. And it, it, it always works. You know, it, it's wrong that you have to do that to get anywhere. But uh, I didn't really understand why your parents <coughs> didn't really get that possibility. Was that because of their age? At like because 50? of their age, yeah. Because of their age uh, and uh, the employment situation in Canada at that time. As it is in, in Norway. Yeah. I mean, you've got the immigrants coming in. Uh, yeah. and, and God bless you Norwegians, but do you want to work? No, really you don't. <laughs> Uh, well, why should you work when they take such good care of you? Yeah, I guess that depends. Like, yeah. like you said, you you don't want to sit around doing nothing. No. So no. personally, I'd rather work. But oh. uh, yeah, me too. Uh, yeah, I guess that's a yeah. matter of opinion. Yeah, yeah. But uh, <coughs> what time was that when your parents wanted wanted to come to Canada? Was oh, it like early two thousand? We were there. We emigrated in seventy five, and they were out in seventy seven. Yeah. Yeah. And then my dad uh, left the car dealership after he'd been working there a while and became the manager of an old folks home. And he was there until he died. And he did a, a, a hell of a good job. You know, so. And he saved them a blooming fortune because he, could, he, because he was a, a, an artisan, basically. I mean, he could do plumbing, he could do electrical, and he used to do all those jobs. Whereas now, they just phone up the various... Um, um, resources yeah. and they come, the electrician comes or the plumber comes or this comes because not one person can do everything anymore. Yeah. Like what's going to happen to all the young people when they leave university? They're getting older. There isn't that many jobs for them. But they're there. I mean, uh, you know, the, the trade stuff is forgotten. And what trade you have charge you a fortune. And I think, wow, wow, it's, it, no, it's, it's, uh, it's, um, I, <laughs> we, we were, um, we were building a, um, a kitchen in one of the places over here when we first moved. Uh, and uh, the plumber came. Good guy, doing a great job, and doing a great job. And I said, okay, he said, I'll see you tomorrow. I said, good, thank you. So I didn't go to work the next day because he was coming to do more work. But he didn't come. And so later on in the day, I phoned him. I said, hi, he said, hello. I said, I said you didn't come today. No, 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 he said, uh, he said uh, coming on, uh, what's Thursday, Torsdag? Yeah. He said, no, no, Torsdag. I said, and today, it's like, it was Monday he came, and he was coming on Tuesday, Thursdag. So I said, well, I said, I can understand that, other than you said tomorrow. I said, tomorrow to me is the day after the day before. <laughs> That's tomorrow. So he laughed, he said, I'll be there tomorrow. And sure enough, he came the next day. But they are so busy to charge so much money 
and they have one job and another job and another job because it's the only way they can keep everybody happy because yeah. people want them. So it, it, you know, for the young people today, they need to get in, they need to get into the the business of fixing things instead of replacing things. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. You know, so yeah. uh, and I look at all of them. I think, geez, and I look at all the little kids going to school, and they have backpacks on them. My grandchildren as well. I can hardly carry those backpacks. I thought, what the hell? And then they get all this homework. What's with this homework? You go to school to learn. Start, finish, done. Enjoy the evening. Yeah. Play. <laughs> no, no, you got to give them a cell phone. Here, stay quiet. I mean, it's awful. Yeah. I mean, in North America, uh, it was even worse because, the, because of the money situation. You just give them 10 or 20, 20, 20, $20 here, go to the mall, you know. Oh, oh. <laughs> you know, the simple things in life have disappeared. Yeah, uh, you, you were talking about uh, that you were, uh, when you were younger, that you guys went fishing and stuff like that. On uh, Yeah, you, you mentioned fishing on yeah. about when you were eight or something. Yes. But uh, like growing up, and uh, did, did your parents have, like, either your, your parents or was there like some professions or opinions that society sort of put upon you so that you sort of had to fit in with those guidelines or anything? I because think in, in England, yes. You've yeah. had a very uh, much, uh, and it is the same today. You have a caste society. You still have a society in England uh, where you are here, you are there. Um, in some respects, in my day, it didn't matter how clever you were. If your parents were the right kind of parents, you didn't go to this school. You, if you, you wouldn't go to Harrow or Eton or any of these places because you didn't have the right name or the right family or that kind of stuff. That is still there to this day. They hide, but it's still there. And uh, when we had the pub in Ripon, um, you could not get into the um, golf club because there was a waiting list. But Fred Collinson was, his son was the, um, um, what do you call it, of the golf club, anyway, president. Yeah. You know, I got in the golf club because Fred, Tom, and Roy, three judges, circuit judges basically, used to drink in our pub. I want to go and join the, the tennis club. Same story. I was in the tennis club because my parents had the Crown Hotel. Now some other poor kid once uh, got some talent and so forth. Sorry, no room. And that's still the same today. So it really is based on who you know and not a matter of who you are or no. what you can do? My daughter went to America a few years ago and she hadn't filled out the forms that she should have filled out. To get into the country? No, to, to, to the school? To, to leave Norway. Oh, yeah. Well, this time she'd been married for so many years to a Norwegian. She's got four children or five children. 
and um, she goes over there and when she gets there, she can't come back. Her husband could come back, the kids could come back. They're all Norwegian citizens, but not Tanya. Tanya's a Canadian citizen. Basically, she should be English because she was born in England, but she has this thing about being Canadian. <laughs> so um, she couldn't come back. She'd have to stay for three months outside the country and apply to come back and all this kind of stuff. Now, the government would not allow her to come back, even though she got little children. That's the same as what's happening in the States right now. And this is no way. So I, being the father, drive down to Oslo. I go to the British Embassy because I'm a Brit and said, listen, this is what's happening to my daughter. Yada, yeah. And they said, we agree with you, but we can't do anything about it because she's over 21. You know, you don't have power of attorney. I said, understand, okay. So I go to the Canadian embassy. Well, we agree with you. However, with nothing we can do, she's over 21, yet you are, it's UDI. They're the one. I go to UDI. I stand there and I wait in line and I talk to the counter and I'm talking to this person who's behind a glass cage. And I tell, and he's got everything on the computer. And he said, yeah, I see, yeah, yeah. And I said, so, I said, can we? No. He said, just like that, no. No. I said, listen, I said, I don't want to be rude. I'm in a foreign country. I said, can I speak to somebody above you, behind you, around you? No. You can't go nowhere. You get in an argument, you get in a fight, the police arrest you, no, nobody wins. So, fine. So I walk out there, I go to Kongsgata, I think it was, and you've got Tevi 2 in there. And I go to, into the thing, I said, I want to talk to a, a, a whoever, please. <laughs> you know? So they like send. A TV personality kind TV, of person? Yeah. So one comes down, sits, talks, listens to me, so it's fine. Yeah, okay. They arranged for a guy up here, Tevi two up here, to come and have an interview with us, which they do. I go to a dresser. I talk the newspaper? to a newspaper when it was out in Heimdall, and they do a whole thing about what was happening. I go to NRK. My daughter stays in America. Lucky she was a Canadian because she could stay in America for like three months. Whereas if she'd been from somewhere else, they could just have kicked her out. So um, she stayed there with the two youngest, which was Adassa and Tamar, and Hanshaka came home with the boys. We meet him at the airport. We drive to NRK. NRK have the room, they have the reporters, and they're all the rest of the stuff. Thank you very much indeed. Okay. Later on that afternoon, we get a call from NRK. We have been in touch with UDI. We have, uh, they have been, a dresser has been in touch with them. Tevi Two has been in touch with them. They are sending an email to your daughter. She'll be home in a few days. 
Now, if, it, it, if that doesn't make an ass of bureaucracy, <laughs> I mean, you know, literally, it was a person that would not look around, have some common sense. It's black, it's white. Yeah. That frustrates the hell out of me here. Yeah. You know, a politician the other day, he says, he said, um, um, when we got, we're going to the co-op, and they said, oh, I said, no, 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 I said, thank you very much indeed. I said, politics, I said, you're all a bunch of bloody crooks. Thank you very much indeed. No, but I said, do what you're doing, but not with me. And then I come out, and I said, look, I said, I don't mean to be rude to you. I said, try and do something. I said, I understand. But I said, we used to know Gordon Campbell. I said, uh, in, in, in Canada, in BC, he was uh, uh, MP. And... Uh, of, of uh, Vancouver and I said my wife's had pictures with him all this kind of stuff I said so I said you know and I know what he used to get up to so I said Phew. I said thank you very much indeed you know so that's why I say and my friend uh, an associate at that point in time fellow name is a federal minister in in Ottawa Ed Fast and I'm playing golf with Ed and he'd more likely sue me if I was over there but he can't in no way you know <laughs> I'm playing golf with him one time at Newlands. He hit the ball. It went over. It hit the antrum and broke the window. Did he say anything? No. So <laughs> that's yeah. You got a strong opinion on government, so I get that. Oh, but uh, I understand where you're coming don't from. Don't like any of them. No, no, no I get no, that. No. But because um, they tell you one thing and do another. Yeah. And when you pull them to a task and say, you said, I did. Are you sure? Of course I'm sure. No. Yeah. And where do you go? You can't go anywhere. Yeah. You make such a fuss, they come and lock you up. You know? Never seen them again. And it, it, it doesn't, and don't, but don't get me wrong. Norway is a beautiful country. It's a great country. And some of the programs that you have for people are absolutely amazing. Your health system is second to none in the world. I mean, it's fabulous. We hadn't been here three months and I'm driving my wife home and I had this pain and I'd been to the doctors a few days earlier and he said, ah, oh, you got a, a muscle spasm. So I go to the apotheque and they give me some pills and so forth. A few days later, three days later, it's not going away. I'm driving home and I thought, this is not right. I pull off the side, the side of the road and I get out and I said, I walk around the car and I get back and I said, Gene, I said, I don't think I'm going to get home. I said, I'm going to the hospital. I just put the flashes on and I just drove straight back to Trondheim. Went through every red light, never stopped. Straight to the hospital, pulled up outside. I said, Gene, I said, park the car. So she parked the car. I go walking into the hospital. I said to one lady, I said, excuse me, where's the emergency? She said, why? I said, I think I had a heart attack. A chair in the chair, straight through, upstairs, in the bed, needle in, there. Next day, they go in, they put a stent in. Now, we had BC Medical in Canada, but you would never have got the kind of service that you get here. Absolutely amazing. So, Yeah, yeah the health part is, uh, is working nicely. Yeah. But you mentioned uh, Gene again, and I was just wondering if you could... Um, tell the story of how you actually met her because you mentioned that you guys have been married since 1969, yeah. right? Well, I met my wife in June or July 
1968, I was at Hensel, and some of the lads in the village where we lived and so forth, they said, they've got these two new girls working at the uh, Selby Fork Motel. You know, you should have a look at these girls. Okay, well, I'm young and dressed as stuff, so I go down to the Selby uh, Fork Motel. And um, the girl behind the counter was uh, my wife's best friend, Linda. Very attractive girl. And I thought, wow, yeah, she looks nice. And they said to me, that's Charles Hobson's girlfriend. I thought, yeah, it was Charles Hobson's girlfriend because I was very sure of myself in those days. And um, I used to drink brandy and, and uh, smoke cigars and all that kind of nonsense and drive a fast car. So, uh, and we all did, like it wasn't just me. So, uh, so, I'm going to go back the following night and talk to this girl because I'm playing darts. That was more important than the females anyway. <laughs> so uh, the next night I go in and there's this other girl behind the bar. I thought, wow. She was very attractive. I, 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 I think this is, uh, um, this is unbelievable. So she didn't like me because they'd already told her about me. They told, told that as he was big-headed, uh, you know, used to the way he was and all this kind of stuff. So she'd already pre made her mind that, you know, I wasn't the kind of person that she would want to be part of anyway. So we went to, um, uh, so I'm driving home. That was Jean then. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I'm working. This is one of the times I was doing the rotor, rotor in, yeah. in, in, in Selby. And I'm driving uh, back home, and who's this girl at this bus stop? So I brake and I reverse back, and I said, listen, I said, can I give you a lift to work? Well, yeah, that's fine. She knew me from the, the pub and so forth. So she jumps in. Well, we're there a lot. We're there early for a shift and this kind of stuff. And I said, will you go out with me? Uh, I said, at the weekend, I have some dinner and so forth, you know? She said, well, I'm at a, at a dance with uh, Colin on uh, Saturday. I said, well, that's okay. I said, we'll go on Sunday. I said, yeah. Yeah, okay. So we were just friends. It was like, everybody was friends. So the next day, um, and I'm at the same dance as Colin and, and Jean and a bunch of the other ones and so forth. And, at that time, Colin, and he's married now, we're all married, but uh, Colin came over me at the time and said, hey, he said, he said, what's this you want to check out my girlfriend? I said, your girlfriend? He said, yeah. I said, well, do you want to go outside and sort it out now? No. I said, I like her and I said, I'd like to get to know her. I said, do you have a problem with that? You know, I'd just fight at the drop of that in those days. So anyway, he says, uh, no. So, okay. So, anyway, the next day I pick Jean up. I drive out to um, Flamborough. My uh, cousin had a, a, a restaurant and a hotel and so forth there, her and her husband. And we had a nice meal and so forth. We drive out to the cliff. I reach over. Um, I, I give her a kiss. Uh, and uh, that was it. And uh, I said, you know, I said, I'd really like to get to know you and. and 
and so forth. I'd like you to be my girlfriend. And got engaged at Christmas and got married in May. You worked fast? Yeah. Well, we grew up in uh, a different society generation. You went to lots of parties. You knew lots of people. Uh, I was in the modeling business. I was in the television stuff. I mean, uh, you do get tired of getting out of bed to go home at three o'clock in the morning and start all over again the next day. And the young ones today, they think whatever they're doing is new. No, it's not. <laughs> we've been there, we've done that. There ain't nothing they can tell us or show us that we haven't already done. You know, so. <laughs> yeah, do you ever uh, feel the need to actually tell young people that or just... Uh... Yeah, on a regular basis when they, they're trying to con you on something, you say, hey, hey, stop, you know. Don't say you don't do this. Don't say you don't do that. You know, we used to use the same excuses, all that kind of stuff. I said, our parents also knew the same thing. So I said, you know, nothing is new in life. No. You know, it's, uh, life has been good other than the loss of our son and, you know, having lots of money and then having no money. Uh, but, but in general, yeah, it's, it's been a good life. And it's 49 years, 50 years in May. Uh, yeah, we were, she was 19. Uh, the day we got married, uh, the day after, she was 20. So, yeah. So. But uh, yeah, that's a wonderful story. But uh, um, if, if you're okay with talking about it, when, when Darren passed away, yeah. um, th that is... Um, a different kind of pain than I, you would... I could not have got through it or handled it without Gene because it still affects us today. And um, when I would lose it and be that far down, she was there for me. And vice versa, when she used to feel it, there. So we had each other. In some cases, it's destroyed people. It's destroyed families when they lose someone. They can't cope. And they blame each other or something like that. Uh, but we never did do that. And we've been very, very fortunate in that respect. And the memories of our son have been nothing but good memories. So we've got no regrets in that respect, you know. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. And then, our, and then our daughter has um, um, given us these uh, five wonderful grandkids. And uh, yeah, and that, that, that makes life, it, it gives you a new lease on life. It, it uh, gives you a new meaning. The joy that they have, which you see. I mean, a hug from my granddaughters. I mean, just, uh, you know, to come on, I love you, Grandpa, and you know, you know don't let anything happen. Well, it's fine. It's okay. You know, you know. If I'm not feeling, are you sure? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Thank you, darling. You know, so, yeah. <coughs> I guess those moments make it all work. Absolutely. Work Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. They um, they come upstairs because um, the kids helped uh, build an apartment on top of their house, so we live above them and. Um, uh, they come upstairs and they uh, also 
uh, make a list of what we have for when we're gone. That's kind of cute too. (laughs) (laughs) And then to see something like uh, my my wife used to collect dolls and we've got some dolls and there's one doll on a swing that the the girls really like and they both want that one doll. And I say, yeah, but that's the doll you want. no, no, we want, I said, no, no, no. This is Anne of Green Gables. This is a limited edition. This is worth some money. The one on the swings, no, I want the one on the swing. Oh, okay. <laughs> Can't sell to your kids like that, you know? No, <laughs> no. Down the road, maybe they'll see the difference. Yeah. But, you know. but I got hockey cards that I brought from Canada. My eldest grandson's got those now. He's going shifting through them with Wayne Gretzky and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, there's some value there. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So, but when you have, uh, it seems like you've you've lived a, a very um, rich life in in, uh, in several definitions of the world. N- yeah. Not not necessarily money wise, but yeah. with your grandkids now yeah. and everything. Yeah. Um, but when you look back on your life as far as it has gone now, yeah. do you? Did it turn out as you would expect, or how was your expectations? No, I should have been the greedy son of a bitch, and I would have been a millionaire. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, uh, uh, we should have had more uh, than what we've got. Uh, we are rich in so many other things. Uh, monetarily, we are not, uh, and you make some mistakes as you go along. And that's why with the younger people, I try to talk to them uh, and say, um, like when they're investing, you know, don't save your money, buy some land, put something there, you can't replace it. The rest of the stuff you flit away. I mean, you live in a throwaway society. Here, something gets old, all it looks, they throw it out. I mean, look at this fin.north, the stuff that you can buy on there. I mean, there's nothing wrong with this stuff. It's a throwaway society. When we grew up, we didn't do that. So, it, yeah. But when, say, when you were, in, I don't know, in your uh, teens or in your 20s or whatever it was, like, um, was the fixing mentality uh, more of a, I'm just assuming it that was that was a necessity. Yeah, because it's not a uh, luxury. Kind no, of thing. it's just no. that this is what we have to do. That's what you do do. Yeah. I mean, when it would cost you uh, five pound to go and rewire a, a freezer or something, why would you go and spend fifty pound for a new freezer? Makes no sense. But here, took it on the garbage heap, get another one. You know, and you're all getting suckered in to this. Uh, uh, car business thing of, of leasing vehicles, you, you call it rent here, you know? No, you never own the bloody thing. You just keep on paying and paying and paying. It's a terrible investment. I think the, the car dealers will, will strike me down dead, but it's a terrible investment, you, you know? I mean, now, nowadays you can buy an old classic car and it's worth more money than it was when it was new. I mean, that's what's so uh, stupid about the world. You try to make it clean, environmentally clean, and yet get these monsters and pay a fortune for them. You know, so what are that people? That's nostalgia. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nostalgia. Yeah. But, uh, and I think that nostalgia is actually uh, a good word to, to end on here because yeah. um, we have 
look back on your life yeah. so far. And uh, I was just wondering, like, what are you looking forward to in the time that's ahead? Oh, make Tony Yakerson a bucket full of money. <laughs> because he works hard, uh, he has a gift, uh, he has a vision, uh, the coffee is great. Uh, when I go out and I sell his coffee, I say, I've got to tell you, honestly, it's not the best coffee in Trondheim. It's the best in Norway. And uh, they all laugh and so forth, but I, I, I mean it. I mean, they put a lot of effort into what they do. You know, uh, it's just, uh, it's just growing. It's growing. And I'm, I'm kind of happy to be part of that and go and, and call on people. And, and uh, uh, but I've got to get over their mentality of what selling is. It's not out of a book. You can or you can't. There's no in between. And I know one thing, I can Yeah, I think that's a wonderful way to end uh, on it because uh, yeah, the the cafe is really nice. It's yeah, uh, really and uh, I love how I love seeing you both uh, tell stories to other people here and uh, hear like the guys I've talked to here uh, the way they've talked about uh, you and your stories yeah. and the fact that you are now like sharing these stories with me and with uh, anybody who wants to listen. And uh, no, I, I just uh, greatly appreciate you taking the time. Oh, well, you're most welcome. Absolutely. <laughs> and last but not least, I want to thank you for listening. And if you got this far, I would really appreciate it if you consider giving the show a rating in the Apple Podcast app or in the iTunes store. Or you can head over to Instagram and follow Fork on Fortio to check out some of the animations that I publish for each episode. And other than that, hope you have a great day.